Hi, welcome back to the Hardware Knock Podcast. I don't even know how many times you've been on the pod at this point, because that's how many times it's been. We are back with our annual tradition of the Milwaukee Bucks look ahead. Before we cannonball in, though, I have to ask the most important question of this episode. How the hell are you? You know, my heart hurts watching Giannis and Greece lose to uh, to Germany in Eurobasket. Anytime I have to watch Giannis lose, it's not fun, of course. That is how the last NBA season ended, too. So you go from a summer where Giannis doesn't lose any series to watching him lose two is tough. But otherwise, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited. I can't believe media day and the season is, is basically already here. We're already back. But I'm not mad at it because, as you do as well, love the NBA. So I'm, I'm ready for it. I love the NBA, and the takes are getting way too concerning during <laughs> downtime where it's like, okay, we yeah. need – uh, you had the WNBA to distract you too. Like they were going through that playoff mm-hmm. run was fun. Uh, shout out to the Aces, by the way, for winning. But like, just when you get like into like end of August and then to the opening day of training camp, the takes and the discourse just gets so bad. Yeah, so we bad. uh, Brent, breaking news: Giannis isn't that good. That seems to be one of the main offseason talking points that keeps coming back up. I'm not sure about that one, but uh, um, yeah, I don't even want to. Don't even want to talk too much about it it's obviously ridiculous the the bucks though you had mentioned this on twitter a while back that you felt they were being overlooked and i feel like no one's really talked about them this offseason because i feel like the prevailing theme of how they went about their offseason business was if chris middleton was healthy we would have at least made the conference finals and i think you can base that off talent retention and then also just using the mini mle on someone who is not going to play for a pretty big chunk of the season would you say that's just one, an accurate description of their approach, and two, accurate in how they viewed it. Is it really just, we're fucking good, Chris Middleton will hopefully be healthier at some point this season after he gets over the the wrist injury, and we're just going to crush it in the East, especially now that we have no idea who's really going to be. We have an idea, but we know that Ime Adoka is not going to be the one coaching the Boston Celtics this season. Yeah, um, I'm hoping that, you know, Ime uh, getting suspended for a year wasn't part of their calculus because that'd be a really weird NBA conspiracy if they had known <laughs> about that for months. But no, I think, you know, I think saying the, I, I don't want to boil it down all down to Chris in one series because I think that that's overdone and Bucks fans were on the other side of that with Bucks Nets the year prior. And I do think it just gets to be such a, you know, if ifs and buts were candies were nuts kind of talking point. <laughs> but I think generally for the, I brought the Midwestern out early here, but Generally for the Bucks, I think organizationally, they want to be like the Spurs. And Giannis is that kind of Tim Duncan stabilizing figure in an organization. I mean, for to look, look no further than the loss to Miami in the bubble, I think there's a fairly a decent list of orgs who that might have just broken right there. Giannis is a year away from potentially getting out of Milwaukee at that point. It goes as poorly as possible in the high. Can we start states. the clock on that again, by the way? Now that he's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, they just year, congratulations to Costas who gets another job uh, because of yeah. <laughs> no, Costas had a good summer. Costas had a good summer. I don't want to disrespect Costas Antetokounmpo, but congrats to him for getting another NBA job. Maybe uh, I think it's a training camp deal, but. He is that kind of, and not to do a direct player comparison, but that kind of Duncan-esque guy you can build a franchise around who is not going to blow up the team every couple of years, who believes in organizational stability and all of this. So I think it should be a surprise to no one that the Bucks look at this past summer as a successful offseason. 
by keeping Bobby Portis, keeping Pat Connaughton, keeping Wesley Matthews, keeping Javon Carter, drafting a rookie they seem really excited about in Marjan Bochamp, and adding someone in Joe Ingles who is entirely a question mark based on his health and that he's coming back from the ACL. But if he is healthy and able to look anything like the player he was in Utah, even at the later end of Utah, his shot creation off the bench could help alleviate probably their biggest concern right now. And that clearly in that Celtic series, not to go back and just be as granular granular as if they had Chris, they would have won or as, as you know, obtuse as that, but they didn't have enough shot creation. And that was pretty clear all throughout. So you hope to not have to do another series without Chris, but you also hope that maybe Bochamp or maybe Ingles or maybe George Hill, if he can get healthier, he had some pretty serious back and neck issues last season that Clearly, he was not right in the playoffs. I think maybe he's just washed, but I think the injuries played into it as well. I think they're hoping that one or more of those three guys can help them alleviate that issue. And, of course, they can have Chris back too. So I don't think it's as simple as, oh, we should have won. We don't need to do anything. I think it's more we have a lot of good players. We like our guys. We'd have very little room to pivot if we didn't like our guys anyway because of the spot they're in with all their guaranteed money and all the contracts. So I think it just made perfect sense, and I'm glad that they didn't unnecessarily rock the boat. I don't even – I can't even, like – I didn't understand what was wrong with George Hill because there were so many things wrong with George Hill. But we'll get into that a little bit later. That was just all – I like, the, the next stuff was all of a sudden just crept up. That was that was a bummer. What – the Joe Engel signing specifically, which is probably – I mean, unless you're me and think that Marjan Bo, Brochamp is going to be a multi-time MVP, the Joe Engel signing was probably the most prominent move that they made – I was higher on it in the moment. And then I thought about it a little bit more and was less high on it. And then West is coming back. Javon Carter is coming back. And I was probably neutral on it. Where did you land with it? Um, do you think there's a risk in using what was your best spending tool this summer on someone who won't play right away? Does it just reinforce that they don't give a shit about the regular season? Uh, and I think mainly just um, what, what do you think that he really adds to this team or how much of a difference do you think his shooting and playmaking in the half court can make for them yeah i think it certainly reinforces the idea that milwaukee's got postseason goals right like it's they can finish third in the east they can finish second i I don't think they want to finish you know anywhere near the play-in because that's obviously a different level of risk but they're not all that concerned if they're first second third those are all fine you can make it and win the finals from those seeds as we've seen teams i think generally especially teams who have been on long playoff runs before with the same core, that they don't care that much. So I think certainly that that is reinforced by it. But I think also I was pretty whelmed, I think appropriately whelmed at the time of the signing. I know my co-host Rohan was in shambles at the idea of signing Joe Ingles as the main, the main move, the main new player brought in through free agency, the only new player brought in through free agency because they just brought everyone else back. Maybe literally everyone, if Jordan, what we'll see how the Jordan war thing goes. Uh, Weird that there. he's just floating around out there, by the way. I, I've got theories, you know, I've, I'm doing the Pepe Silvia, always sunny thing, connecting dots to Utah and Brooklyn or whatever, but he's just chilling. Um, I, with media days this weekend as we record. So hopefully we have some Jordan Warren news at some point. Um, but I, I think you look around at guys who went for around the mid-level and outside of Otto Porter going to Toronto, I'm not sure you see that many where you go, oh, that would have been way better for Milwaukee than you know a one-year deal on Joe Ingles. And I think it's 
very purposefully one year because they could use non-bird to bring him back at the same amount if both sides are happy, or they could cut bait and not have, you know, two more years of a guy who is an older player coming off of a very serious injury on their books, which could be a detriment to the Bucks going forward. So, I mean, you look at like a Dallas getting JaVale McGee for the full MLE, like JaVale's fine, but the Bucks clearly didn't really need him that much. Chicago uses a little bit of it on Andre Drummond again, like, Cool. I, I just don't I don't look at that many other players who were really available to the Bucks who actually got that contract and go, Oh, I really wish they had gotten this player instead. I think John Wall I would have loved, but it seems like the Clippers um there's more room for him to play there and be on ball. I think that makes a lot of sense for him. Um so I, I think it's fine overall. I think it's a fine flyer. And I think if he does get healthy as as they seem to they they've been floated Christmas as a time he could return. You know, I think he could add a lot of very useful things to the Bucks. They could use more, you know, just shot creation and ball handling on the bench. And that's something they don't have a ton of, at least on ball. So uh, there's a theoretical world where he gives the bench a really nice jolt alongside players who really prefer to be off ball more than on ball that the Bucks do bring off their bench. Is are you at all worried? And I think the only Otto Porter Jr. was a good name to mention. He clearly wanted to go to Toronto. Yeah, His yeah. girlfriend is from there, I believe. Uh, and then the the name I focus on, and I just want to know like why Brooklyn was are the the vitals on him that bad? Did he really want to play in Brooklyn that badly? Uh, but TJ Warren at the minimum, I would have given him the entire mini MLE if I were the Bucks because if he doesn't pan out, I just think he had a better chance of making a a difference than a Joe Ingles. And my I think my main question with Joe Ingles, I think he'll shoot better this year when he's healthy, and the the playmaking will um it'll sustain even if he can be a little sloppy on the pick and roll, he just did not look good last yeah. year before he was injured. And so are you at all concerned about like what he'll be like defensively, or do you not assign much concern there? Because this, I think when you start to get into the nuts and bolts of the Bucks roster, this is clearly not someone they envision as being a part of their closing unit. Like there would probably be two or three guys I would estimate in front of him to round out what I think there are probably like four sure thing spots in their, their closing lineup right now when they're healthy. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing about where the Bucks are at right now is they do have so many guys who you can really just kind of not even pencil but pen into important roles on the team in the rotation that for players, I think kind of oddly because they're on separate ends of their careers, but like Ingles and Bochamp are both in it's fine if there's warts because the Bucks shouldn't need them to do a ton, either of them. But if they play their way into more, that's terrific, right? That's a win. If Ingles you know, really takes time to get healthy. And not saying I have any insight on him with the Jazz or whatever last season or the I think Blazers. I don't think he actually played there. But, you know, sometimes I think players in other teams are either through their own volition or by the teams are encouraged to, you know, make sure they get out there and that they're playing, that they're, you know, active. And the Bucks of recent years have been very proactive in making sure, like, you're not going to play until you're right. I think we saw that with Brooke Lopez, who I know we'll talk yeah. about more, but it took him forever to come back. And I think that's better than getting him back earlier when he's not all the way ready. I think PJ Tucker, I mean, he was playing for a bad Rockets team. The Bucks traded for him and shut him down for a couple of weeks and said, you're going to get all the way healthy. Like we're not, we're not prioritizing February games. So it wouldn't surprise me if Ingles, we, maybe we don't see him as early as the summer reports have been. But I think he'll look as right as he's going to look. I mean, maybe there's some rust. Maybe he needs to get in shape. But I think injury-wise, the Bucks will be a good fit for him to make sure he's really ready to return and that they do it the right way. 
So I'm not overly worried, both because I don't think they'll need to rely on him, and I, I really do trust this team, this medical, this, this strength and conditioning staff. Suki Hobson's done a great job with Bucks players. I think he, this is probably as good of a spot as any for an injured veteran to come back into the fold. I want to make this part clear because Bucks fans on YouTube are super active, which I appreciate. <laughs> and maybe because the Eurostep podcast is so nice to Hardwood Knox, we get some spillover from that. The Bucks have decided, and as you and Rowan have discussed, they're not like Giannis as the lone big is not a thing that they're focused on. I still think it's kind of important to have that option come playoff time. I know you're of the belief that, well, Bobby Portis and Giannis is fine to go with that look. But I've seen this frame nationally as, well, can Ingles give them any minutes as a four next to Giannis? The answer to me there would probably be no. Uh, over Unless he's just all of a sudden a dynamo defensively. Again, I'm talking about Joe Ingles. Um, but is there anyone on this roster right now other than Bobby Portis that you think unlocks those types of looks? And if you just completely think that it's not going to be important when they get to the, it's not going to be important in the regular season. This team is a machine. They're going to win 50 plus games. Giannis yeah. is fucking spectacular. Um, but is there any player on this roster that you can identify as, Hey, maybe that's something we could try or, or is there a downsizing lineup where maybe there's not, you know, maybe it's technically Middleton who's your for them, but what yeah. does the, the makeup of such a unit look like? insofar as it ever needs to exist. Yeah, I think it's most likely out of the current guys that it would be maybe just both of at the 3-4, uh, Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton. And I think those those two have enough size and range that most of the fours in the league are not going to totally bully them. I think just generally there is a rebounding gulf between Giannis and another big and not those lineups. And I think part of that is Giannis obviously gobbles up rebounds and is, you know, built like and is a great rebounder. But the load he carries offensively, I think it's hard for him to also be the box out big on the other end. And I think you see that when he's the lone big or, you know, quote unquote lone big, he's out there with a smaller lineup where it's someone like Pat or Chris at the four. All of those players are pretty good rebounders in their own right. But none of them are doing the work of like a Bobby Portis or a Brooke Lopez in boxing out to make it easier. Or even a PJ Tucker, not or, even, or a PJ not Tucker, to, not the reopen sure. wounds. You want a title? No, no, that Tucker. that's fine. Um, but yeah, someone like that who's really going to do like that dirty work for rebounding. And I do think it's. I'm not like throwing shade at Giannis here. It is unrealistic, I think, for a guy who in the playoffs is going to be that like. 35, 16, and 6 to also be boxing out on every defensive possession. Like, it, yeah. it, it's just, it's too much stuff. So, I think that is, I think defense, de- rebounding is the big one and a little bit defensively. I think you just lose some of not having some sort of big guy there who can do, you know, to put it plainly, big guy stuff. But I do think if you want to, if you want to go small and really be switchable and everything else, Chris and Pat have enough size that they're not getting totally bullied. I think. Sometimes they use pad on guys who just shoot over him. I've seen them ask him to guard Kevin Durant. It doesn't go well. It's, that's obviously the most extreme example. Uh, but even like Gallo was getting shots up over him. He's only about 6'4". He doesn't have a huge wingspan. And then Chris Middleton sure also. Gallo's like a 7-footer almost. He's like 6'11 or something, so he's pretty big. No, I meant Pat is 6'4". Not, oh, not no, Gallo. I meant like oh, yeah, to have yeah. Gallo yeah, get a shot a up guy. over him. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a big guy for sure, um, and hopefully he gets well soon. But um, it, some of the bigger fours do feel comfortable, it seems, shooting over him, even though he's pretty physical. And then Chris has not gotten premier defensive assignments in the last few years uh, either. So that that's just you, – you just kind of miss some dirty work, I think, is is what you miss out on. So 
you know, I think Bochamp's probably a little too small, but bringing up a Do younger it. player. <laughs> well, Mamu, Mamu's an interesting one to see if they, uh, that's not really going small, I think. He's a pretty big guy too, but uh, he was great with Georgia, so maybe he'll get some more opportunities to play with Giannis. Um, but I think the Pat and Chris kind of duo makes some sense there, especially because like, and I get it's not going to be a huge talking point. Pat just gets a little bit better every year, and it's pretty bizarre. A for monster like, last a, a, year. A role player of his age and stature, the fact that he just continues to improve, it's probably my expectations may just be unrealistic at this point. And I've got the retire his jersey thing behind me here because he was so good in the playoffs the last two years. But he just keeps getting better. If he takes some sort of incremental leap, maybe he'll just be like a fixture in closing lineups too because he's become just really important to this Bucks team. That was when he signed his extension. That was the thing that made me realize, oh, that's through his age 33 season yeah. because Pat Connaughton's entering his age 30 season. It was just something yeah. you don't realize. Uh, Chris Middleton, as of September 6th, I saw his left wrist was still in a cast. This might be answered by the time this podcast goes lives, uh, live, excuse me, on account of media day, but it's like any sense of when he's supposed to be ready or how much time to start the season he's expected to miss. Seems like not too much with the caveat that again, the bucks will, give you no info and hold out a guy as long as they feel necessary. And they have no problems doing this. And again, I will praise their actual injury process for how they handle injuries. It seems like they've done a really good job. I will not praise how much they keep people in the dark. I don't know who it benefited to just say nothing about Brooke Lopez for six months or however long, like really our rival rival teams on a day-to-day basis. You want to affect their game planning and shut up. It doesn't matter. Um, Maybe they just didn't know who knows, whatever, but um, yeah, sometimes uh, silence is indicative of ignorance. So <laughs> that's that. It, it could be. It could be. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this Chris thing goes, right? But uh, he talked to Jim Ozwarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in a piece that I think just went up this week. And Chris said he'd like to play opening day. He's not sure he's going to go with the doctors and everything, but his hope is. So it seems like based on that, you know, it, it shouldn't be too much time, if at all. Uh, but it, it wouldn't surprise me again if they're going to be extra cautious. They want Chris in may more than they want him in october right so he may miss a couple of games but hopefully he'll be ready to go and he says his legs feel great those were the major issues uh this this wrist thing kind of just sprung up so i have two starting lineup related questions let's assume when they're fully healthy who is the who is the fifth starter is it even a question at this point i've seen everything from grayson allen west matthews to pat Connaughton as the the choices here yeah, I think, you know, it's really a testament to West that I, I'm going to say him him to start. Um, and maybe he doesn't start the season starting. We really don't know which way they're going to go. And I think certainly Pat is probably the best overall case in terms of offense and defense because West is just going to give you the least offensively on average. Although he has like two spry moments per game where he really wows me. Again, it's not like he's like doing a 360 dunk, but he like flashes to the rim and makes a layup. And I'm like, oh my God, Wes Matthews still got it. Um, but I, I think Wes, just the way he played last year in the aggregate, regular season and playoffs, the body of work there, he's been the best of those sort of two guard options. I think Pat Connaughton's been quite good, but having Drew and Wes together defensively has been really beneficial for the Bucs. And they've really been able to make it hard on opposing ball handlers. And then that plus Giannis and Brooke on the back line, you know, Bud loves defense. The Bucks love winning through defense. And really the way Giannis plays, I think the teams are inclined to 
be defensive grinders who score enough points. That's that's been the best Bucks teams these last few years. So I think West probably is the inside track to start. I think Grayson certainly is a, the next best case. I think obviously he spent a lot of time last season starting. He got the nice extension where he's you know getting paid eight and a half million a year or whatever. He was great against the Bulls, terrible against the Celtics. I think that's a player who will benefit from more talent around him and being asked to do less overall. It wouldn't surprise me if he started either. The outside choice, of course, is Marjan Bochamp. I I do think he'll play, especially early if when guys are out, Ingles and, and maybe Chris for a little bit. Because, you know, Dante played a ton when he was a rookie. Like, they just don't use first often. But when they do, they want those guys to develop and play. I clung to that when you talked about it on the Eurostep because I asked the question about it. Will yeah. Marjan Bochamp get a chance to play as a rookie? And uh, you and Mr. Cotty had talked a lot about, well, look what they did with Dante Vincenzo. So I'm clinging to that. I want to see I, so much Marjan so. Bochamp this season. I think we will. Especially, you know, there's going to be games where guys are either banged up or they're sitting out. The rookie is going to get to, I think, play quite a bit in some of those games. I mean, there's some games they'll outright punt. But I think games where, you know, two, three guys are sitting out for whatever reason, we'll see a good amount of Bochamp there. But I think he would have to, and I don't even want, and you you may be, you, you have free license to, we're trying to not be too optimistic about, you know, a guy picked in the mid-20s or whatever. Yeah, I can't I think help he, it. I'm sorry. He would, he would really have to blow the, the doors off to, to become the starter. That'd be pretty, I mean, he'd have to be very impressive, I think, given all the vets that are here. So that's, I'll put it on the table, but like just barely on the table. If Middleton does miss some time to start the season, what does the starting lineup then look like? Is it Wes plus who are you putting in Middleton's place? I think Grayson's always going to be in when Chris is out because okay. I think the the spacing is really important then. Like, you know, Bochamp projects to be, you know, hopefully a pretty good shooter, but it's still a question mark. Wes is hit or miss with, with the jumper. It's on, it's off, it depends. He had a pretty substantial lull during last season, but got it together by the playoffs. Because Wes has the heart of a champion. But uh need to get him that first ring this year, man. That's probably one of my biggest, obviously, all the honest stuff. But getting Wes a ring would just be so cool. But anyway. It's been a while that he was unsigned to start last year. He really went, he, he said, uh, who knows, you know, this it makes a better story after after the fact, right? But he said he just wanted to play for the Bucks, And apparently he was like blowing up the front office and ownership lines. Like, yo, sign me. I can help. If and then he true, did retire his jersey number right, right now. Right, I got to get another one of these next yeah. to the Pat Connaughton one, uh, or the twenty-four one. It's just twenty-four. It's not branded Pat Connaughton. But um, was it? oh, but uh, what was I saying? Talking about why it would be uh, Grayson and Wes in the. Oh, I just think they need Grayson's spacing. Thank you. Um, and and Wes is hit or miss with with the shooting and scoring. So I think if Chris is out, we'll see Grayson. And then we, we did have a podcast about this, like back when the Chris news first came out, the injury. You know, it would be really fun if they let like Bochamp and Grayson start together in that scenario, just because you just want to look at him because, you know, it's early in the year. We don't care that much about the regular season. And there's clearly a rotational hole. Like instead of having West play a bunch more minutes to compensate, like throw the rookie into the fire and see what he can do next to these these star players. So I think that would be my preferred, like most fun and like really why not scenario if Chris is out for a couple of weeks is like, let's do Grayson to keep the spacing there for Giannis and Drew and, and Brooke really. And then let's throw out Bochamp, even if he's like a nominal starter, only plays 20 minutes a game. Let's just see what he looks like with that group because that could be a whole lot of fun. You know I'm all for that. I do. <laughs> uh, Brooke Lopez. What did you make of him 
when he came back from his back injury last year. It was such a small sample where he did look like a step or two slower to me, but how much value can you ascribe to really how much time he was playing versus how much he actually missed? And so is there any reason for concern or just what, again, general impressions of him coming back from that injury? Yeah, I thought overall, I, I was actually pretty happy with how he played and looked after he got back. I thought more or less he reminded me of the same old Brook, which, you know, has never, at least in Milwaukee and probably not ever, ever, has been someone you would categorize as fast or quick. But he was, from that first game back, effective in the drop coverage. And after bashing it because of Bud sticking to it too much for, for years, the season where he didn't play at all, We've never missed drop coverage so much. No fan base has ever said, ah, we, I wish we had someone who could play drop coverage more than Bucks fans last season. Like, <laughs> I am not kidding. Every single person watching, you know, for all he did on offense, Boogie Cousins or Bobby Portis, try and drop, just not good, man. Just very not good. And seeing Brooke back there holding that back line, I think it was the Utah game in Utah, the first time they won in Utah in quite a long time. That's going to be an easier thing to do now for the next couple of years, but was not easy to do for the last several years. Uh, and they won that game. And I thought, you know, he he did what he does. And I think that's all you really looked for. By the end of the, I mean, game seven Celtics ends up going so bad and, and maybe that game in itself could make him look worse. But I think the strategy there was just like, let's hope Grant Williams misses and just try and gain like a crazy edge somehow in this series. Cause we don't have the firepower and, and we can't go small and keep up with this team anymore. And it just didn't work. And you know, whatever they ran out of gas, but I, I think Brooke looks like Brooke and I'm, it's really now more of less concern about this year and more about both contractually and with his age and decline and whatever else, how much longer can he look like that? He's on the expiring deal. And obviously he's not going to be your starter for the next 10 years, right? The next, all of Giannis's career, so trying to figure out who else has that skill set, that a real threat to space the floor, but can be a true center and really play defense at the five. It's not a lot of guys out there. So now it's more like how many more good Brook years can we get, even if he's not maybe as spry as he was in 2019. Yeah, I do think there's probably not enough credit given to how important his three-point volume is. And like him hovering around close to five attempts per game when he came back during the regular season was good. Hit those at almost 36% clip. That gets like halved on both fronts in the playoffs. And so that's someone, he's someone who could very much be a bellwether for how dynamic their offense is looking in the half court. And you sort of touched upon this. The Bucks were 14th uh, outside garbage time and points allowed per possession last year. They were 24th after the trade deadline. Was that simply a matter of, one opponent shot like a trillion percent over the second half of the season on like log mid rangers. And then on top of that, you're missing Brooke or was there anything? And then of course you're allowing threes opponents were hitting threes uh, or is there something more sinister at play there? Yeah, I think it was, I think mainly all the regular season stuff was Brooke and I, I would have to pull up the numbers to confirm. And I guess it wouldn't take too long to look at just how they played in general with him on versus off. But the defense just clearly wasn't the same most of the time without him. They had some nice moments, and it seemed like for a for a few weeks, you know, prior to him getting back, it did seem like maybe they had figured out how to live with him more. But clearly, they they really were craving to have that that center, that defensive presence there. And so much of what they've done, I mean, really all of it has been built around Brook Lopez. Like the Budenholzer Bucks have always had Brook back there. 
and he's always been really important to them. And I think the reason, I mean, they still finished third, which I still can't believe given some of the bad basketball that we watched last season. But I think that's why, you know, they were closer to the middle of the pack there in the Eastern playoff run than near the top of it where you might expect them to be. They just really struggled to defend to their elite level without him, even with Giannis and Drew. So, yeah, I think a lot of it probably comes down to to missing Brooke Lopez and then trying to re reintegrate him to the team. Yeah, and look, they the defense was actually worse with him on the court last season per cleaning the glass, but opponent shot 7.7 percentage points worse at the rim with him yeah, on the court. Sense. And that's like his bread and butter there. And then if you start to dig into, which I'd done for a previous project, like some of the lineup combinations that he was a part of, where there's, you know, I think the second most, and this is... If I'm wrong, it's off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure the second most used lineup with Brooke Lopez had both um, washed up or injured George Hill and then Grayson Allen. It's like, that's really a lot to have to cover up for if those are your two guys in the backcourt. But it was just like, and 14th is not the end of the world defensively. But when you look at the talent the Bucs have and just Giannis and Drew, even Middleton being, like you said, not someone who's on premier assignments or who's probably been the idea of Middleton on defense is probably better in theory than practice. Someone who's solid there. And then the season that Pat Connaughton had for them, it was just striking to see like sort of what they were after the, the trade deadline. Uh, This is my annual question though. (laughs) It's the annual Giannis always gets better question last year. Shoots a career high from mid range, especially from uh, on those long twos. Do you one? like buy into that sustaining and what insofar as it can even exist <laughs> at this point, what is the next frontier for Giannis? Is it just like, Oh, he shot 37% on 1.8 pull up three point attempts per game or something. Like, is that just what the next frontier would be for him? Maybe. I think it's probably just continued improvement though, on the mid range jumper and also the playmaking, which I think has also taken strides really starting around the championship postseason, but then still even then I think that was one of the things that maybe stood out most when he was with Greece this summer was even out, he's out there with Yorgos Papianis and like the floor is spacing is far from ideal and everything else. But former his lottery field, pick, Georges Papianis. Former almost almost potential buck according to some reports earlier this summer that then they signed Surge like the next week and it was like, well so much for that. Um But his command of the floor and the passing angles he's able to work, I think he continues to get a better feel for the game, more awareness, and just more ability of, you know, I I think he's gotten better too in the sense of like, okay, I'm really going to feed my teammates for, you know, three, three and a half quarters. I'll score when I have good looks, but then when the game matters, okay, it's going to go through me now for 10 straight possessions and I'm going to shoot on eight of them, right? Like his, his feel is able to command a game, his ability to command a game, I should say, I think it's come a long way, but I think outside of that, I do think it's the mid range game and, and even really kind of like more post game. That's going to be big for Giannis. I think that's something that I've seen him take step forward in. And you mentioned the statistics there. And I think that is just more important. I think the three for him is always going to be, more of an, you know, it's it's almost a possession punt sometimes. And it's like, it's great if he makes it, but it just seems like he's like tired or, or just needs a possession off. So he just shoots a three. I think him having a better post-up game and it's it's gotten, it's it's progressed, but being more reliable from there, being able to take advantage of the mid-range space versus the three-point uh, line space. I think that's going to be still, at least for this year, the main improvement we see. 
Um, and the growth there has been really encouraging. Also, we shot free throws really well in, in Europe. And, you know, if, if that, that alone, that could change Giannis's game pretty substantially if he's like comfortably 75% from free throw, given how often he gets to the line, especially now with the transition take rule in play for this season in the NBA. I'd be curious to see if he can take the pull-up jumpers at like a higher processing speed where it's not yeah. so much reactive to the space that he's being given where he's almost stumbling right. into it. It's like, this is a move. I'm not saying he has to dance with the ball in his hands. That's not the way that he plays, but it seems like that could technically be like the next frontier oh, yeah. for him too. And I'm with you on the passing. There's uh, the way to frame it. I just use the, the verbiage is he used to be like this reactive passer, which worked because of all the attention he drew, but now he's like also a proactive passer. It was like, Oh, this yeah. dude, the caps lock playmaker on a bunch of possessions. Yeah, I think that's the that's the great thing about Giannis. That's the reason he's here, right? Is you know, there's been ten stages of his career probably at this point where a lot of folks would maybe say, "I'm, I'm great, you know, I'm really good." He's an NBA player, then he was an All Star, then he was a franchise player, superstar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's just never happy with it. He just always wants to add more and be better. And it's really a rare kind of person who's wired that way. I think a lot of great NBA players and great great athletes or whatever are. But Giannis certainly is, and I think it, it stands out. But, yeah, I think his processing, he had some nice kind of little, like, between the legs, you know, as Katie would say, has he pull up Jimbo's in, in Greece? And it's like, oh, man, if he's going to be doing stuff like this, like, more proactively, I just you just don't know what to do about him. I th- you already don't know what to do about right. him, but I really don't know what you do about him. If you now it's like you give him five feet of space and he's just launching into an effective pull-up game. Buy or sell this? Drew Holiday now has one of the most lethal step back jumpers in the NBA. Regular season buy. Buy buy buy. He he makes him fall down. You know, I think Drew's offensive game in general has like been so difficult to get a handle on because he does so many things so well. The step back three has kind of become like his signature shot. It feels like every week there's a new thread about He's second only to Steph Curry in step backs on volume per whatever. He uh, shot well, I have the number right here. He shot 52.7% yeah. <laughs> on step back threes. That was 93 attempts. And his yep. his he made 69 of 125 step back jumpers overall, including two pointers. That is an effective field goal percentage tie of roughly 75. That's fucking high. <laughs> I think it's good because Drew has some foibles at the rim sometimes. I don't know if he inherited that from Eric Bledsoe in the Bucks starting point guard spot or what. I think he wouldn't because he is like – Built like he a- gets there. That's yeah. the thing. He gets there. He's so strong. He gets there. And then there's just, I know uh, Marcus Johnson, who's phenomenal, has reported on the Bucks broadcast before that, like, he's specifically working on finishing with both hands and trying to improve that. And that would be great. I think at this point, it's just pretty clear, like, the Bucks ecosystem with the three guys, it works because they're all there. And I think we saw it doesn't work if any of them are not there against the Celtics. They all need each other to some certain extent. And I think Drew needs... You know, to not be such a focal point on offense, especially because he is such a focal point on defense for the Bucks, And he really is, you know, in terms of the perimeter play, he is the guy at this point. So, you know, I buy it. I think it's a good shot for him. I think it works sometimes, especially in the playoffs. Seems like he tries to over-rely on it and he forces it a little bit and it doesn't work. But I think, you know, over a pretty solid sample across the whole season, clearly it's a shot he's comfortable with and that works for him. And it's almost one of those that, the Bucks try not to maybe rely on that, but it it's kind of feels like found money when he does knock down a couple of those in the game. And it's just like, because sometimes 
points can just not be the easiest to come by for this team. So seeing Drew just size somebody up, step back, and of course there's almost always attention on other players plus him when he's being guarded. So I think that helps him generate some more space because you know his defender is probably kind of cognizant of like, is Brook Lopez about to screen me? Like, where's Giannis? Got to account for Giannis. And then Drew pops back and nails a step back. So I, I buy it, but I'm not like, you know, Drew is the next James Harden level buying it, if that makes sense. Is that, so you kind of already answered this, is that sort of what was at play? He was all over the place offensively in the Celtics series. That like, and he had some problems finishing at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those were pretty prevalent there. Was it like just that was a larger symptom of who Drew Holiday is and then you just tacked on the fact that Chris Middleton wasn't there? Yeah, I think more or less. I mean, even the when Giannis was healthy in the 21 run, there's still some times where he would just fluctuate wildly. And, you know, he's he'd miss bunnies against the Nets and then drill a couple of those step-back jumpers and get the Bucks back in the game late late in that Nets series. So I, I, just, I think that is, you know, it's a little frustrating because Chris has a little bit of this too. I think this, that's just who those guys are and it works because they can they can pick each other up um and as long as they don't you know both go bad at the same time which was like watch game two of the the sun's final series with the bucks that was that was that and those guys are just wired differently because they laughed about it after and then you know work to roll off four straight wins so i think that's kind of just who drew is and certainly him and Giannis and everyone having to carry more load. It wasn't good for anyone. I think Drew, Drew Grayson, it kind of stood out the most. And, and Bobby Portis too, as like they would all be in such a better place if that, you know, 22 points a night guy who just doesn't really need any help for a lot of his shots was there. Everyone would be in such a better. And then Giannis is just Giannis. He was just more tired, but he, he still did all the Giannis stuff somehow. We already talked about Marjan Bochamp. So I'll frame it this way. Marjan Bochamp needs to do what to become a concrete member of the Bucks rotation this year? Defend and just do something offensively. And that, that may sound stupid, but I honestly think if he doesn't defend, he's not going to play. And I think that is part of the reason why the Bucks seem to be so enamored with him is he is known as a, a rookie who can defend. And I think he showed that a bit at Summer League, and clearly physically he has the tools for that. And he is like the kind of player who I think understands he's got to be a defender to be an, an NBA player. Um, so I think I think that that is that that is like the rosiest part of his projection. I think is I do think he'll defend, but if he doesn't, it, it, he won't find that many minutes because the Bucks do not love guys who do not defend uh, for the most part, especially young players. And then dis- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. I was, I was gonna say what disarmed me about him in summer league, aside from just falling in love with him, was. <laughs> He was. He seemed less athletic than I thought, but the jumper seemed closer than I thought. The way he was yeah. moving without the ball looked comfortable getting shots off in the corners. And then, of course, there was the defensive hustle. Uh, and it, I kind of expected it to be the opposite offensively. I thought this was someone who was going to rely a lot on maybe being in the open floor or just going through straight lines to the basket. And it actually made me a little bit higher on him because I was like, if the Bucks can get someone who is you know, playing 14 to 17 minutes a game, gets up, you know, two or, or gets up like three plus three point attempts and is shooting reasonably high on them while busting uh, his butt defensively. That's someone who could play right away and should play right yeah. away for this team. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I think the, the hope is the athleticism will translate more when he's out there with like Giannis and Chris versus um, as good as they were in summer league, you know, Mamu and, and Lindell Wigginton. With perennial all-stars. Yeah. 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 A little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the shot looks pretty good. I'm still, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be a little hesitant until we see it, just because you know NBA shooting is hard and and whatever else. But I think the the thing offensively that stood out, defensively, 
I thought he closed out on shooters really well. He he seemed older than a rookie. Like it's easy, I think, to to blow by and leap out of your shoes. And I just thought he was very calm and controlled on defense, which which was great. Offensively, the shooting was nice. He worked the corners well. I really liked that they had the ball in like Wigginton's hands and Mamu's hands. So Bochamp got a better approximation. I you hate I hate at least when like an NBA rotation guy gets drafted who's going to be a role player. And then in summer league, he's got the ball in his hands the whole time. And it's like, that wouldn't have helped Bochamp at all. Like, that's clearly right. not what he's going to do with the Milwaukee Bucks. They had him off ball. They had him in the corners. But most importantly, probably, they had him work in the dunker spot, which is so huge to the Bucks. is utilizing that, that horizontal part of the court, basically under the backboard and around the rim there. And he was able to get there and complete um, passes when he, was, when he got the ball because he is pretty athletic. He's got long arms. He can take you know, good paths to get the ball into the hoop from there. And that's going to be huge for him playing with the Bucks too. You got to move around Giannis and take advantage of that space. So I think he's poised to be able to get that rotation minutes, but it's going to start with the defense. And then really it's like thriving on offense would be great, but don't gum up the offense is like the main objective when you're out there with Giannis. Among these three players, who's going to be most important in the regular season and playoffs and feel free to separate it if you need to. Javon Carter, George Hill, and Serge Ibaka. I think Javon most. And I think really he is like, like the way he played last season, the most likely scenario is it's just not sustainable. But the way he played last season, if that's actually who he is, that could like change a lot of things about the Bucks over the next seven, assuming they find a way to keep him because he's still on a vet minimum and you know they're a year away from bird rights. But he was a very effective three-point shooter who is limited in who he can guard because of just his size, but who he is... He for when they wake up in the morning. <laughs> it's like the, the Jose Alvarado thing where he's all over the court. Uh, he doesn't hide. He's just, he's just dogging them the whole time. And for smaller players, I, I think... I'm not going to get too hyperbolic here, but I think one of the better guys to guard, like true point guard-sized players. He's all over in the chest making it hard to move. I, I think wing players, like, uh, and again, this is hard for everyone, but like seeing him against like Tatum and Brown, unless he was really able to get into their dribble, those guys are just a little too big and strong and, and got to do what they wanted. But, you know, the real point guards of the world, Javon Carter can really guard. The way he shot, the way he spaced the floor, the way he just fit with the Bucks, like he really stepped in as a buyout guy with little acclaim around the league and was a pretty seamless fit. And I do think, it's maybe even a better what if than Chris Middleton because it was actually controllable. If he plays more than Hill over those last three, four games, it might potentially change the Celtics series. I'm not saying this would happen, this wouldn't happen, but Hill clearly didn't have it. Javon Carter did when he played, and they won his minutes, I believe, over the course of that series. It helps that he played in games the Bucks won by a lot, but they were good with him on the court. And I think there is a shot. He really carves out a role here with some like question marks, I guess, in terms of the backup backcourt and who exactly is going to do what. If he continues to play like that, shoot that well, did a little bit off the dribble too, not very much, but I think he could have a real rotational role and be very useful for the Bucks going forward. George Hill is just a huge question mark. Uh, is, is he washed or was he hurt? And if he was hurt, can he get healthy and not get washed? Like That's kind of the flow chart. And there's a scenario out there where I think he can be quite good and helpful again, but I think there's also a few scenarios where it's like, he just really doesn't have it anymore, which sucks. You know, George is another guy I think 
the Bucks fans and the org would love to be on a title team after he missed out on the, the first one or the last one as well. Um, but he just didn't have it last year, was not able to help, and it sucked. Surge, I think, so George, I think it could depend. Surge, I think, is going to be the least day-to-day important. I think he's really there to be kind of a break glass in case of emergency guy. And I think that's why they ended up with him versus some younger center options who maybe wanted a spot where they could prove themselves and carve out more of a role. I don't know if Serge is going to play every game, to be honest. And he didn't when he was on the Bucks last year. And he re-signed. So to some level, he must be okay with that arrangement. Clearly, he's proven a lot and you know been able to earn a lot in his NBA career. And maybe that's just fine with him. Um, so I think there's some games where he's probably going to be quite important. But I think there's going to be some where he doesn't really factor in much at all. So I would put him last, but I'm glad they got someone there. Because having no one in that backup center role really hurt during the time Brooke was out last season. Yeah, I'm curious whether his back was like bothering him throughout the year, even after he returned early with the Clippers, because there was like this yeah. increased stiffness about him, and, and and functionally he could be quite helpful to this team if he is mobile enough. Yeah, I mean that, that I should I should that's a great point. I think as with Hill, there is also some additional upside there. I think you don't usually think about guys of that point in their career and that old as having upside. But given the injuries Hill and Ibaka dealt with, there is a chance they both look better this year than last year. You don't want to bake that in, but it's certainly possible. And he is one of those players who can protect the rim, has that true size, and can space. I mean, he took so many shots in garbage time last year. Like, way too many shots, man. But he can do those things, too. He gives you some rough approximation of, of what Lopez does. What do you view as the single biggest weakness for this team right now, whether it's just a player archetype, a specific position or skill set or, or whatever leading into the season? Is it just, is it the wing rotation? Is it the second unit playmaking? Like, what do you view it as the, the single biggest concern for you entering the, the regular season? Yeah, I'd say second unit playmaking or even just like I, tertiary, as I learned on the Eurostep, means specifically third. I just thought it meant outside. But like playmaking beyond... Chris Giannis Drew, which clearly, and again, it's, I think most teams you bake in their, one of their top three players being out and it's hard for them to go win a championship, but it was very glaring, right? When Chris was out, that they just yeah. did not have enough playmaking. So, you know, I think the hope is again, like Ingles and Bochamp can do some of that, but neither are proven at least for this coming season that they're going to be ready to do that. Ingles at one point was, but that was a couple of years ago and Bochamp has just not proven anything yet. So I'd say that's the biggest. And that's why like, you know, we're doing pods, you know, should they go get Jordan Clarkson? Who's not a great distributor of the ball or playmaker for others, but certainly just has that juice. He'll get his. Yeah. He'll, he'll get his. And I think like 17 points a game last playoffs would have been transformative for the Bucs just to be able to bake that in. Or maybe if it's less on, the team, maybe not. I mean, the Jazz had good offensive players too, and uh, maybe as many as the Bucks without Middleton there. So um, that that would have been a, a big help, I think. So just like scoring slash shot creation outside of the big three is, is, I think, the biggest one and the one that they have like the least good answers to. And they've shown they can do enough when those guys are healthy to get by and their defense can be good enough. But you'd like to see some more of that. They have a lot of guys, you know, Pat, Bobby, Wes, go down the line, Grayson Allen, who are really better playing with someone who can do those things versus doing them themselves. Mm -hmm. And to have someone like, you know, the Sixers having Tyrese Maxey just like emerge onto the scene and be able to take on some of that. So transformative for guys on that team like Tobias Harris, who were overtaxed trying to do it. 
like being able to add in another jolt, I think would be really important and not having it there for sure. I'd say is probably their biggest current weakness. And Javon Carter becomes much more valuable to you. If you have that player, like if Joe Ingles yeah. is healthy, let's say, even if, I guess if you trade for Jordan Clarkson, like second units where you don't need Javon Carter to really handle the ball at all. Like that's right. just where he's going to be best suited on offense. And then you get his defensive pressure, the benefit of exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he is. It's kind of Drew-esque in a way, although obviously Drew much, much better relatively on offense. But I think that ideal role is being able to not have to worry about offense as much. Again, Drew can carry much more than Javon Carter, but being able to have someone else that you can kind of orbit around and then just like totally wreak havoc on defense. That's, that's a formula the Bucks clearly like. What is something that's not being talked enough about on a national scale with regards to this team? I think for that one, oh, see, I was going to do this for the last question, but I think it's probably, it probably makes sense here. Well, now it is though. Actually, now it is because it went viral today. So now let me think about this for a second. Not enough attention on a national level. I'll say, I think. Marjan Bochamp, let's move on. Bochamp's a good one. I, I think what they've done this last offseason, it's not exciting. It's not like Horst should win executive of the year. But I still do think it was a pretty fine offseason. I'm fine just now I'm blasé too. But I think being able to keep all those players when typically players win championships and over the next two years, it just gets really hard to keep everyone. I mean, the Warriors just lost GP2 and Juan Toscano, less important, I guess. But, you know, they obviously don't retain PJ, which I think they may still be kicking themselves over the the right after. But then keeping Bobby, keeping Pat, etc., and just really keeping the core together and adding at least swings at good rotation players. I think they put themselves in, in a really good position to contend for the next couple of years, at least until they get to the swing point on Drew and Chris. This question is fascinating, and I recognize it's a heavy lift to do on a podcast, but what does the 10-man rotation look like for this team? And for the Bucks specifically, it does feel like they have the the seven or eight guys who are locked into a certain amount of minutes. When you look at Drew, Wes Matthews, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, and then I would say Grayson Allen. And so if you disagree with any of those inclusions, feel free to, uh, to correct me there. But then how do you like round out if you had to like those final two spots when you're looking at how the minutes might be allocated? I think it's really going to end up like the regular season this year is just going to be 82 games of figuring that out. And I don't think it's going to be set in stone early, especially not with the injuries. But I think the most obvious kind of position battle is going to be Javon Carter, George Hill. I don't think there's room for both of those guys if the team is relatively healthy and there's no trades made, yada, yada, mm-hmm. over the course of the season. Because, like, yeah, I think the the top eight of Drew, Wes, Chris, Giannis, Brooke, Bobby, Pat, Grayson – I think is more or less locked in, you know, the roles could fluctuate and change a bit, but I think those guys are all going to play. So then it's which of Hill Carter is the backup point guard who I think one of those two is likely to slot in at nine, unless one of Ingles or more John Beauchamp looks really good. And then that's where things can get really haywire. Cause if Ingles comes back and looks great, maybe he knocks out both the point guards and then there, maybe there is room for Beauchamp or maybe Serge looks good and he slides in there. So I think there's so many right now spots where I look and go, I need to see how this guy plays and figure out how they fit with the team, how healthy they are. If you're Bochamp, how fast you you know look like an NBA player, which hopefully is right away. But I really think it is going to come down to like you know who stays healthy, who gets healthy, and 
who fits in and is able to contribute because it is, in my opinion, almost set up or designed so that there's some competition built in as we go through the season. Yeah, I would totally agree with you there. And it was tough to like kind of, I want Marjan Bochamp in the top 10 when we're looking at minutes, but it's like hard to include him when you consider all the factors and the veterans and just like options that they do have because their depth has a lot of question marks, but there is depth. Like there's actual depth to this team. Yeah, I think I don't look at it as because what we probably talked about like 12 or so players there, 12 or 13 players. I don't look at it as they're going to have 13 guys who are like average or plus or better rotation guys. But I think by end of day, I feel pretty good they'll get to like nine or 10 at least. And that's that's certainly deep enough, I think, when you look at playoff rotations that I mean, that may be too many guys for Bud, right, to, to narrow right. it down. But I, I think they'll certainly have enough depth. I just couldn't tell you exactly who the players will be right now, which is going to be, the, I guess, the fun and the difficult part for the coaching staff this season. What, this will be, some to some extent, matchup dependent, I'm sure. But what do you think winds up being their go-to crunch time lineup? Is it just their starting five? Well, it, we, we, we already said we're not exactly sure what that's going to be. So I think right. it's, still a, it's still a good question. I think the most likely is if – I think – a core thing about the Bucks is if you don't make them go small, they're happy with it. So I think if they can play Brook, they will. That's like, you know, they've they found ways to win without him, but it's typically been really hard for teams to beat them in a seven-game series if they're able to play Brook a lot and he's able to do his thing in the paint. Like, they're built around that. If they can do that, they're really comfortable. It's really hard to beat them. So their preferred, I think, is probably, like, Drew... Wes Matthews, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. And it's like all defense and it's impossible to score. And the Bucks don't score a ton, but they score enough and you know they grind it out. Chris makes tough shots. Giannis does Giannis, yada yada. I think if they have to, then you look at Drew, Wes, Chris, Bobby Giannis. If they have to go smaller, you know, teams make it a little too hard for Brooke. They stretch the floor a little too much for him. Then I think that's the most likely pivot option. You know, could Pat Connaughton supplant one of Wes or Bobby? I think so. But I think it's a little, it's, I think I would lean toward Wes being in there and then it either being Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez right now. Again, before we go through the whole season and see, you know, does Wes regress? Does Pat get even better? Those, those sorts of things. Yeah, it does seem like so it'd be the two and the five spots are the ones that are like going to be the most fungible, which yeah. is really the spots outside their big three, which makes perfect right. sense. Is there a weird, oddball, quirky lineup that you would like to see this team try roll out some point during the regular season? Yeah, after watching Georgia, the country, not uh, the Peach State in Eurobasket, I really want to see some like – Mamu, Giannis, Brook Lopez lineups. Because the hard part about Mamu on this team, because I think in a lot of teams you just go, yeah, he's a four, that's that. The Bucks just have no room for fours between Giannis and Bobby Portis. And then we talked about there'll be some points in lineups where guys like Chris and Pat scale up. That's like their hardest position. Like I was looking into today, like if the Jazz don't care about Laurie Markkinen, and we don't know this, but if they don't, right, would you want to go get him? Theoretically, like a 25-year-old guy who shoots at a plus-plus level, it's a good fit with Giannis, but four is a really hard position. And I'm not sure, again, if the Bucks could get him. That's a different a different combo. It's just hard at that position. So, like, can they figure out lineups where Giannis can play or where Mamu can play with Giannis and then another big guy? And what does that look like? And just, like, the burst, the shooting that Mamu has shown. 
I would like to see that and get a look at what he can do in those opportunities just because like he's going to torch the G League again like he did last year. I think he's better now. Like that's you can only learn so much from that at a certain point. I'd like to see how he fits in the team construct. Not something they didn't really ever do with like Christian Wood. And now to this day we still have to have these questions and these fights on Bucks Twitter like every 8 months. Should they have gotten rid of Christian Wood? Could Christian Wood have played a role? No, he never would have fit. Oh, he's so good it would have helped. I want to find out with Mamu. So give me Mamu with the three. Mine skews in a completely opposite direction where it's just. Oh, so you want to go? Yeah, I know. You want to go tiny. You love Giannis and tiny guys. So it's. And the big three has to be included. Otherwise, like, why am I even having this lineup? So I want to see Giannis, Drew, and Middleton. And I'm going to try and prioritize some of the spacing here with Javon Carter so that I can get my guy, Marjan Bochamp, in here, who I believe will hit enough threes to make it work. But that has the potential, I would say, to at least be like a frenetic feisty terrifying defensive lineup yeah. does it have enough offensive upside in there i mean you have your three best creators on the floor so hopefully they can make it work i don't know who is yeah you'll have Giannis. he could be the screen setter if drew middleton has the ball but outside of that if he has the ball there's not a ton of other options uh i would just i hope they try it i don't think that they will but that's the you know how i skew by this point i'm, I'm going with the pocket size lineups even though that Giannis is a giant yeah, I mean, I think it would be fun if they had a lineup like that that did re- work really well, just because they are by default and just by nature so comfortable going big. And I do think they get more uncomfortable when you go small. It would be a lot of fun if they had a go-to tiny lineup that just really went all in on spacing. And it's still defense first, but certainly like more open, more more fast moving. Uh, I would have fun watching that lineup, that's for sure. I'm, any Javon Carter lineup is good with me. I think that lineup would have the best chance of playing against the Clippers. That's the team that I look at. Like they they might play without any like semblance of a big for stretches this season. So I'll be tuning in uh, to ev- to both Clippers Bucks games yeah, this year. Say we only get two. Well, maybe we'll get up to best nine. Seven. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the closing unit of the of the NBA Finals Game Seven for the Bucks. you. We, I'm going to make it my mission to get you like 10 million followers. If you want them or not, I'm going to share this clip ad nauseum if the bucks close out a championship with a javon carter marjon bochamp in the big three line and you would deserve everything i mean not the negative parts of having that many followers but you would deserve the acclaim for sure it is predictions time this team the over under is set at 53.5 currently uh they're a tough one because i don't really think that they care about the regular season but Giannis is just so naturally dominant that do you stumble your way into 54 plus wins but as of right now uh, entering training camp, that 53.5 over under, where, wh- which, which way would you swing on it? I, I think I'm, I mean, again, probably a Bucks optimist overall. But you look at, they played 82 last year, right? Yeah. I had to check because nobody on the Bucks played more than, oh, Bobby played 72. But Giannis played 67, Drew played 67, Chris played 66. And then if you look way down, where's Brooke Lopez? Can't even find him. Was he, he at like nine? What was it? He had 12 games he played last 12 year. 12 games. Thank you. I don't know why. I just 13, 13 games. He played one against the Nets and then didn't play forever and then played 12 more. So I think they're going to be over, even though I agree, they're certainly not going to be like, we need to win X number of games. I think they had such a mess of a season last se- last year with maybe like five games that might be a little high, but honestly, maybe not, where they just like put out total joke lineups because they were so injured. They just wanted to give everyone a day off. I think we'll see less of that. I think there were some extenuating circumstances with really everyone in the starting lineup getting injured at some point or another. 
And I don't think there's going to be perfect health this year. And it's still a short summer for Giannis in particular. But I think without having the championship into Olympics for Drew and Chris, into short offseason for everyone around the league thing, plus being one of the teams who also played the bubble and had just had no time off, I think I would hope that they're a little bit healthier. I mean, the Ingles thing notwithstanding, and Chris's early injury. But I, I think if they're just healthier, even if they don't play any better, which maybe they'll play better too, I think they get up to like 55 pretty easily. Um, so I'd take the over. We both took the over on 54.5 last season, in case you were wondering. So oh, we, were we both, both lost last we year. Both yeah. I haven't made my final predictions. I'm tempted to go with the over, but I think I've said that about every single look ahead that I've recorded <laughs> so far. It's and a I'm good certain- league, man. It's a good league, and I'm just curious, like Giannis, as you mentioned, having the shorter offseason, then Ingles not being available right away. What if Middleton misses some time or just takes a while to reacclimate himself to, to game speed? Uh, so I'm just tempted to go the over because I think Giannis is the best basketball player alive, and that is just sort of not even close at this point. Uh, where do you see them standing, though, in the larger context of the East? And that's also where their win total gets dicey because the top eight in the East has the potential to be like – a bloodbath. I mean, all of a sudden you have the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell just need to be mentioned in there. What if the Bulls get healthy? I'm not really too high on them, but Toronto is better slash deeper in just 148 games. Philly, Miami, Boston, those aren't teams that are going anywhere. I would not bet anything on the Brooklyn Nets doing anything, (laughs) but if they're healthy and like nothing goes wrong, like they're a title contender. It's like the, the East is just going to be absolutely wild. And I'm sure I left off one team because I always forget one team when I'm rattling those off. It's not the Knicks. It's not the Wizards. It's not the Hornets. That's not the team. Oh, the Hawks. Hawks, like, yeah. Getting DeJounte Murray and like their top seven on that team is really good. Uh, do you have them? And I'll, I'll just go first here. I have them sort of penciled into the almost a tier of their own where for me, it's like whatever's going on in Boston and then them even being like tangentially related to the Kevin Durant rumors with Jalen Brown. Something just seems amiss. There. I agree. I said this. The vibes are bad there. I don't know what exactly. And obviously, this email thing is a whole other story. But I, it doesn't. And they made some good moves, I think, overall. But it something feels off to me. So and I've so I've ever thought like I have the Bucks in a tier of their own. It might be Milwaukee and Boston. I could see Philly. I'm very high on Philly this season, and I'm just smitten with Toronto. But I still think it's the Bucks, maybe Boston, and everyone else. Yeah, I think Philly is the interesting one. I mean, this feels like the. Well, maybe not every year, but it just feels like the last four or five years, there's been a reason to think that this is the year that they do it and then they don't make the conference finals. So I think if they, I mean, they, they could draw Milwaukee early because of the way the playoff bracket will probably be with so many good teams. But if, if you know, if they, if they can't win two series this year, I really like just do it for once. Come on, Philly. I mean, Miami's been there like six times since Embiid's been in, in Philadelphia. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is going to be like who's going to drop out of that presumed top tier. And maybe the Hawks don't make it, right? Maybe something else goes bad there like it did last season. Um, but I think Miami has to probably feel a little vulnerable after – like I think the fans there are really more shocked than anything. They, didn't, they weren't in on KD at all. That just seems like such a Pat Riley thing. And, you know, their offseason was – you know, kind of like the Bucks in terms of like, yeah, we kept a couple of our guys, but they also lose PJ Tucker. Tucker and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they seem excited about um, the the rookie, the Slovenian, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I feel like he has some some developing to do. Yeah, I mean, Nikola Jovic is not going to, you know, if you're relying on him to make or break your season, right. like you got Yeah, it. yeah. Yeah, so I think Miami has to be a little tenuous, but also Lowry getting a little healthier could change a lot for them too. But yeah, I would agree. I think the Bucks. 
I don't know if I'd say they're in their own tier just because they were obviously vulnerable last season too. And, you know, they, they didn't make it to the third round of the playoffs. So I would say they're in the top tier there. I'll put Boston in, even if it does seem like, you know, it's just going to be hard for them to have a, a normal season. And that can be really difficult, um, despite clearly they have the potential to be one of the best teams in the league. Uh, and then Philly probably deserves to be there, although I, I still just need to see it for a full postseason at this point. But they clearly have the talent, and they rounded out their team pretty well this summer. Uh, Miami, I think, should just be there because Jimmy can be that guy, even even though the core around him really has me asking some questions. Mm-hmm. I think I'd say that's the top tier for right now. And then I think I'm not putting the Cavs there yet. I think they may well could be there this season. I also think like they don't actually have four all-stars. They have a very good team and a lot of talent. Also a lot of questions, especially like who's actually there. I guess you'd say three if Mitchell and, and uh, Garland are the one too. But, you know, I think they're, they have a lot of very good pieces and some big things to figure out as well. And you know, the Bulls, I don't, I don't believe in the Bulls this year. Sorry, Chicago and the yeah, Hawks. The Lon- I, just, I need to see it again. The Lonzo news is debilitating for them. He's yeah, so important. To their they defense. needed a shooter. They they need a and shooter, and then they don't have one. And I think what helps the Bucks too, them they clearly have a higher ceiling than some of these teams. But like Boston, which might be a stupid thing to say now, Milwaukee and Toronto feel like the least combustible teams on paper because when you look yeah. at Atlanta or Cleveland, you're not dealing with that huge incoming uh, new player. And then Miami, there's the age factor. Kyle Lowry looking weird last season, losing PJ Tucker. Uh, you have Philly. There's always going to be the Joel Embiid health question. And then is James Harden actually on the decline? Uh, and then Brooklyn self-explanatory <laughs> there. And so like yeah. the Bucks have just like real stability where even when they're not at their best, they are among I'd probably say like the at least the two least com- they might be the least combustible team in the Eastern Conference because it looks at what's happening in Boston right yeah. now. As we're recording this, we get the news that Ime Odoka is not going to resign. The fact that we're just oh. talking about this about the team that just made the finals is bizarre. And then Toronto is just they lack I think the apex superstar. Pascal right. Siakam would be a favorite MVP bet of mine this season, but like he's not. Bill him as an All NBA. Yeah, he can be that guy, but like Giannis is no, that's first or second team All NBA at worst. They don't have that that guy so milwaukee is probably the least combustible team in the east for as many questions as you and i both have about them yeah their questions are more about like you know who's going to be able to execute at a high enough level but that has been maybe like the most underrated thing nice thing about being a bucks fan or or following the bucks lately is like so little of my time has to be devoted to you know drama or like off-court things or I whatever three else. High character all stars is just like at the same time is almost unheard of. I mean, they they say they have a rule of like no assholes, and it's like they it, it has to happen, and it seems like they do because like year after year since Don Maker's trade request, nothing <gasps> comes out about the Bucks. They're just like they're doing their thing. And I don't even mean high character might be insulting to people around league, but like low maintenance having yeah, three just... low maintenance all stars at the same time is just bizarre. Is there anything? About this team or anyone on this team that I did not ask you about, that we did not discuss, that you think we need to hit on before I release you back into the wild? We won't do Jordan War, and that's the weird one, but it's just like there's not that much to say. He's just floating there in restricted free agency. Something will probably happen. It'll probably He'll probably just sign the offer sheet. Um, Chris's contract situation, I think, is right now the, the big one. And I, I say that not because – and in the, the Journal Sentinel piece I referenced, it's a very good piece – and talk about like low maintenance. Like it's all about Chris and his family, like putting on basketball camps and he's just like 
hangs out with his friends in Charleston. It's like it's the most Chris Middleton thing ever. But in talking about his contract, he says, like, I'd love to stay if they'll have me. Like, everyone knows I want to be a buck. You know, you're not supposed to say that because it doesn't help in contract negotiations. But I think everyone knows that. But he's got the player option after this season that he could accept or decline and obviously, you know, negotiate a new deal. He's extension eligible eligible right now. My thought all along is they're going to get a deal done before this season and just oh. figure it out. That's been not sourced, clearly. Just my thought. Aggregate uh, just, it. Alert. Aggregate, aggregate it. it. Aggregate it. Um, just because I think I think it, what he said is true. I think he wants to be a buck. I think they clearly want to have him. It's just figuring out the number now for a guy who has not been super healthy and, and is certainly you know on the other side of 30. Um, but it ha- it's not done yet, right? So it's still, I think, worth talking about. And that's, you know, Drew and Giannis, I believe, are on the same term now of years. I think they've gotten a lot of the role players there now too. Obviously, they're not going to have a ton of cap space anytime soon, but figuring out what the Chris move is. Like, can you keep him for a lower AAV than $40 million? You know, are you too hesitant to sign him? What does he want to do? That's the big thing right now that is like the real Bucks inflection point in the near future. If you could have him in total with the extension – three years, $120 million. So it's like basically at that player option number, average annual value. Would you just do it? I would, I would, ideally, it's a little less, which I guess it doesn't, probably doesn't matter. And I'd rather have him at that than not have him. Um, my thought was, my hope, I, I should say hope, because again, it's not like I, I not like I have a basis to go on or anything, but they've given him two huge contracts already. And he's deserved them. It's not like it was out of the goodwill of the Bucks' heart, but certainly has been, has been well paid. I think a Lowry-like contract would be perfect for both sides if you made like three years, $100 million after this, which may be underpaying Chris Middleton. But also, you know, I think we've seen around the Bucks a few guys have been willing to do things more or less like that. Again, we'll see. He certainly has earned all the money he's gotten. And if he wants to hardball the Bucks for three at 120, people will argue. I won't argue that much, even if it doesn't age the greatest by the very end. But I think there's there I think there will be room there for uh, more of a give and take extension. But again, all total speculation. So I think if you're giving him like four years in total, where he's picking up that player option, and then it's three and a hundred would probably be pretty realistic. I guess I was more yeah. talking about like basically a two year, eighty million dollar extension. Oh, where sure. you have him for three years. Uh, that'll be. I did not expect that was a deal that was going to get done. Uh, to be honest, so if they extend him, that'll be uh, fascinating be... to look back at. It would be the most Bucks thing if they did it because that's been the whole thing is like the continuity, the stability, the no drama and being able to just like eliminate that as a talking point, I think would be, it, it would be something that they would certainly look to do if they felt the price was right. And again, we'll see. I think this could, could potentially be the thing that gets ugly and uncomfortable as, as we go. Um, but I, I think they, they, I still hope at least, I guess I should start saying hope, but I hope that they'll figure it out before the year because then really all your ducks are in a row in terms of like key players for like years like the only one you have to worry about now is Wes and Javon and how you figure out keeping them or what they want you know the next free agency Ty this was great as always are you able to tell our fantastic listeners where they can find your you and all the fantastic work that you do Yes, of course. And thank you for lying to them on behalf of my work. On Twitter at Ty Windish, T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H. Share pretty much everything there, but also for the Eurostep slash Win in Six, which is our both of our Bucks podcasts at the Eurostep Podcast Network. We also do other Wisconsin sports coverage. So all of that can be found, including my Twitter somewhere on the site as well. 
gspn.info. That's the central home to all of our stuff. Substack, Discord, all of it. So gspn.info, you can find all of that. Uh, Ty is great. The Eurostep podcast is fantastic. You and Mr. Cotty have fantastic chemistry, and I love listening to you guys. Thank you so much, as usual, for coming on for this. And as you know by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. Talk to you in one year, Dan. Thanks so much for having me.